podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 25th of June. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or use your Now TV outside the UK. Keeps your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it is Friday. Uh, and it is, it is just another day in the circus that is the managerial hunt for Crystal Palace, for Everton and for Tottenham Hotspur. Crystal Palace looked like they had everything agreed. Verbal agreement with Lucien Favre for him to become their manager on a three-year contract. And then last night, Ed Ahrens, who's got really close connections with Steve Parrish, broke the story that Farf had not signed the contract, was not going to be signing the contract, and that the move was off. It's come out today that Farf says he wants a longer break from football. I find it hard to buy that. I don't know that you can possibly get that far advanced in negotiations and then turn around and go you know what the seven months I've been sat at home hasn't been enough I'd like to sit at home some more I do wonder if the the makeup of the squad the situation with the squad played a big part in it I do think he's probably been hesitant to work under somebody like Dougie Friedman He's used to working under directors of football before, but Friedman is different. Because he was manager, I'd imagine he's quite vocal about different things, including, you know, team selection, tactics, etc. Dougie Friedman, by the way, speaks exactly like Brendan Rodgers. Exactly like Brendan Rodgers. This is a blow for Palace because they got all the way to done with Nuno. And then it fell apart. Now they've gotten all the way to done with Favre. And it's fallen apart. According to the Athletic, they, they've they circled back to three managers they considered earlier in the process. Eddie Howe, out of work since leaving Bournemouth. His name's gone very, very quiet. He was meant to take the Celtic job. That fell apart because of his prima donna demands. He could be an option for them. Frank Lampard, out of work since getting sacked by Chelsea. I don't think he's a Premier League manager at this point. I think he needs to go back into the championship and continue to hone his craft. I think if he went back to the championship and did well for a couple of seasons, he'd definitely get himself back into the Premier League 
with a good club because his name will always carry weight. And I think if he'd stayed at, at Derby for a couple of seasons rather than jumping to Chelsea the first opportunity that came along, I do think he'd be a much better manager now than what he is. And then the third one is Sean Dyche, who's by far the best of these three. And Palace have had a long-held interest in Dyche. Back at the start of this, this ownership taking over the club, Sean Dyche was a manager they were interested in back then. So it's a decade-long thing. They've interviewed him a couple of times before. And either he's decided to stay at Burnley or they've made a decision to go a different direction. Now, Eddie Howe is also somebody they've had a long-held interest in. When he took the Burnley job, he took that over Crystal Palace when he decided to leave Bournemouth the first time. So it makes sense for both of them to be there. Lampard, it just seems like it's a name. You're going for a name rather than a good manager. Dyche is the best of the three. It's not even close. But Howe is a good coach. The issue with Howe is Howe wants to bring in all his own staff. Now, Dyche, you'd imagine, will want to bring in a couple of his own people as well. But I think he'd be more comfortable walking in and working under Dougie Friedman and, you know, and working alongside him. I don't know that Dyche would leave Burnley at this point, though. Because... We're over a month since the end of last season. He's well into his planning with Burnley. They've just given him decent financial backing to sign Nathan Collins. By the way, very, very good signing for Burnley. Giant of a defender. Only 20-21. Good on the ball. Loads and loads of potential. If he does well at Burnley for the next couple of seasons, I genuinely think they'll be looking at at selling him for forty million, um, a lot of rumours that they're in for a couple more players. That the net spend should be fairly sizable this summer. Now, I do think they'll lose Tarkowski. One year left on his contract. Doesn't look like he wants to renew, and they can't really afford the financial hit of letting him run out of his contract and leave on a free. So I think I think he will leave. So in all likelihood, they'll bring in another centre back. But Collins is a really good start there, Summer. And for me, if if Dyche is after convincing that young man to leave Stoke and go there when he could have gone elsewhere, I think Dyche will have made a commitment to the club that he's sticking around, at least for another year. Howe is out of work. It's strange to me that Howe is still out of work, that he hasn't gotten one of these jobs. He didn't seem to get much play in some of them. You would have thought Sheffield Sheffield United might be a bit too northern for him. He didn't seem to enjoy living in the north when he was at Burnley. But maybe West Brom would have been an interesting one for him. Maybe Fulham comes available for him now if Parker, if and when Parker leaves. Though Steve Cooper's name is the most commonly linked there. Howe might see himself as only a Premier League manager, which would be fair. But his name hasn't really come up for Everton. It hasn't really come up for Spurs. Graham Potter has overtaken him in the, you know, the exciting younger British manager stakes. You just have to feel bad for Palace fans, though. They they'd gotten themselves 
quite excited about Lucien Favre, the style of football, what that could mean. Something very, very different from what they've been forced to watch under Hodgson, Pulis, Allardyce, Pardew, all the other gammon and gravy managers they've had in the past. Disappointing for Palace. They, they, they'll have to reassess. It's so strange, though, to see three Premier League clubs still without managers, especially Palace and Spurs. Everton got blindsided. I've been over that before. But Spurs are over two months since Mourinho was sacked. And Palace had to have known for quite a while that Hodgson was not going to be, be there this summer and be there for next season, either by his decision or their decision. One way or another, Hodgson was leaving. Anyway, onwards and upwards, they must continue to look for somebody. Just don't panic. That's all I'd say to them. Just don't panic and appoint the wrong person. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo, having gotten really close to getting the Palace job, uh, now appears to be the front runner for the Spurs job. Spurs fans don't seem overly happy about it. It's not an exciting appointment. He's a good manager. He's a short-term manager. Two to three good years, and then that's kind of it with him. I do think they would prefer Graham Potter, the fans. But look, it may just be that it may just be that it's Nuno, and that's it. And just get a manager in the door. At this point, just get someone in the door. Nuno will do fine, and the squad is pretty well set up for what Nuno would want to do. If they keep Kane. Kane and Son with Bergwijn as Bergwijn as I say you're a damn a line breaker, ball carrier, loads of pace, can drop a little bit deeper and and burst forward. Son as what Jota was. Now obviously these are better players than what he had at Wolves, but Kane in that Jimenez role, obviously doing a much better job. Um, Darty who Nuno knows and loves, and Regulon as the wing-backs. That's ideal. Hoysberg and Endombele as his Neves and Moutinho. The fear would be he'd like Eric Dyer and continue to play Eric Dyer in the centre of a back three. But you could just stick Toby in the middle of the back three, Tanganga on the right, and look to bring in a left footer to play on the left side. Now, Joe Roden can play there. It's not ideal because he's not left-footed, but he can play there. I think you'd want to upgrade on him. You'd probably want to upgrade on Tanganga as well, being fair. But like, if you could have Tanganga, Roden, and Ben Davies, say, as your backup three, with Toby and two new centre-backs as your starting three, and it looks like Joe Manderson is the is the mystery player that was talked about yesterday. Find that left footer to complete that back three. I'd want a better goalkeeper than Lloris, but he, he's he's not a bad goalkeeper. That's a good team. That is a good team. It's a well-balanced team, and they'd have depth. They've good centre-back depth, good depth in midfield, the likes of Winks, Sissoko, Dyer maybe can play there a little bit as well. Ollie Skip. 
Lacelso obviously been the the best of the of the bunch. Uh, Cessnion as a backup left wing back. I assume Aurier is going to go, but if they can, if they just bring in somebody else as a backup there, and then up front you've still got Delhi, you've still got Lamella, you've still got Mora. It's a pretty strong squad. It's a couple of signings away from being a top four contending squad. Whether Nuno's brand of football is conducive to getting top four, I don't know. He can be a little bit passive at times, a little bit negative at times, can be a little bit boring at times as well. But I think Spurs fans might take boring and winning as opposed to whatever it is they've been doing for the last year and a half. Two years, really. Two full seasons of mess. Um, Not ideal. There is news today, uh, initially I think from the Daily Mail, but now coming out elsewhere, including from TalkSport, that Jack Grealish could be going to Manchester City for around £100 million. Um, I mean, to me, £100 million for Jack Grealish is it's a significant overpay. Right, so the Mail and Jim White have said that it's close to done. But David Ornstein, who's the best in the business, and Greg Evans, who's just outstanding for Villa, they've said Man City are preparing a bid to sign him, but Villa are determined to keep him. No talks between the clubs yet. City are expected to formalise interest in due course. Likely to take around 100 million to stand a chance. So the the Jim White and Daily Mail stuff is nonsense. Uh, of course it is. Should should never have thought otherwise. Um, because it, I mean Jim White's the guy who told us 10 days ago Rafa Benitez was about to become Everton manager. 10 days later, nothing's happened. Uh, he's the guy that said Otamendi was going to United when he was at City's training ground signing a contract. He's the guy that said Mady Benatia was on a plane to Manchester when he was on a plane to Munich. The guy's an idiot, like. Um, so that's where Grealish stands. Nothing has happened yet. Nothing is likely to happen for a little while. Personally, I think 100 million is ludicrous for a player like Jack Grealish. He's a very talented player, there's no doubt. But point to me this season that he was great August to May, ever. Just one season. That's all I'm asking for. Point me one season where he was great August to May. You look at him in the championship. He spent three years in the championship with Villa. Now, if he was, if he was as good as advertised, I don't think it would have taken them three years to get out. But... Look how many games he missed. 15, 19, and 15. Over three years, he misses 49 league games. Some of them will have been for rest. Most of them are for injuries. Last season, he plays 36 games in a team that Villa spent over £100 million on when they came up, and they almost got relegated. They, they stayed up on a technicality of Hawkeye not working. This season, he had a great 14-game spell. 
14, 15 games at the start of the season. He was very, very good. Very, very impressive. Then he had a bad run of about seven, eight games where he still got some assists, but Villa were still terrible. And he wasn't influencing the game at all. And then he got injured and he missed three months. He came back and he offered nothing the last couple of games. He's yet to prove that he can be a great player from August to May. He's shown he can do it in spurts. Three months here, three months there. That's nothing. Everybody can do that. Adam Lalana was great for three months. In fact, Adam Lalana's three-month spell with Liverpool at the start of the 16-17 season in terms of goals and assists was as good as anything Grealish has produced. Again, he's an excellent player. He's not elite. He's not world-class. £100 for a player that's yet to show he can, A, stay fit for a full season. One full season out of seven where he stayed relatively fit for the whole year. One. Like his Villa seasons, 16 Premier League games, sorry, 17 Premier League games, 16 Premier League games, 31 championship games out of 46, 20, 27 out of 46, 31 out of 46, 36 in 1920, and then 26 this past year. I I just couldn't justify spending 100 million. Now, I know it's easy for City. They've got unlimited wealth. They can spend whatever it is they want to spend. But it's just bizarre. It's also a really weird fit. A really weird fit for City. So, in City's 4-3-3, mostly this season, Sterling or Foden lined up on the left of the front three. So now Grealish is going to start there. So what does that mean for the other two? Well, maybe Foden goes into midfield. But who does he replace? He's not replacing De Bruyne. And I... Don't think he replaces Gundogan after the season he just had. So is Foden now out of the team? Or does he play on the right? Well, Riyad Mahrez has made the right wing his own. And what then of Sterling? The other position he could play is on the right. So now you've got Mahrez, Foden and Sterling on the right. Sterling is the best player of the three. Mahrez had the best season of the three. But Foden is... The anointed one. And while you can say, and let's not forget Bernardo Silva also in this mix often plays on the right. You can say, oh, it's great to have all this competition for places and, you know, with their squad, what a strong squad they'll have. But eventually, some of those players are going to look at that and go, no, this is not for me. I'm not sticking around here to not play, especially players like Bernardo Sterling, Mares, who are in their prime years. Foden will be a little bit more willing to, to give it some time. But even at that, he's established himself as a first-choice player now. He's not going to want to take a step back. He's established himself as first choice for England. He's not going to want to give that up either. 
And the next thing City want to do, apparently, is then go and buy Harry Kane. So you're going to go, what, Foden or Mares or Sterling and Kane and Grealish. So potentially you're going with the England front three, which, which doesn't work. Brilliant. Brilliant. 250 million. Isn't this the club managed by the guy that was saying City couldn't afford a striker this summer? Isn't, isn't it that guy? And the thing with Villa is Villa are owned by mega rich guys as well. Villa don't need to sell. So Villa can be very fussy about what they want in terms of payment structure, payment length. Villa could demand the whole thing up front. Now, City can pay it, but not under FFP they can't. I wouldn't pay $100 million for Grealish, personally. I, I'd be hesitant to pay $60 million for Jack Grealish. Because, like I said, I have no evidence that that guy can stay fit other than one season out of the last seven where he hasn't missed a sizable chunk of the season. You've got to be kidding me. And, like, I've said this before, it's one thing leading the league in chances created when every single attack goes through you. When your manager's only tactical input from an attacking point of view is give it to Jack and let him create something. Make sure it gets to Jack. You can see him on the sideline screaming at players to give it to Jack. Everything goes through Grealish. Of course, he creates a lot. Of course, he has loads of dribbles into the box. Of course, he does. Why wouldn't he? I would imagine, in terms of percentage of times his team have possession... Jack Grealish gets the ball more than any other player in England. Look at how many times Villa have possession in a game. Then look at how many times those possessions involve Grealish. I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess any other club in England, any other player in England, is as involved in every attack of their, their team more than Grealish. He goes to City. He's not the man anymore. Kevin De Bruyne is the man. Phil Foden will be above him as well because it's Phil Foden's club. So all of a sudden you go from being the first option, the only option, to, well, maybe you're third or fourth. And maybe you're not involved in some things. Now, he'll get a lot of easier chances. He'll have less pressure on him. He'll get a lot more 1v1s because teams won't be able to double up on him, especially if he's playing with Kane. But I don't see him being as productive at City as he has been at Villa. Right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll run through the gossip. And that's us for today. Hello and welcome back. Right, okay. So we are going to run through the gossip and that's us done for the day. Um, Arsenal have moved closer to reaching an agreement 
for Brighton and England defender Ben White in a deal that could be worth fifty million. As as mental as I think the Grealish price is, this is even worse. I'm sorry. Ben White is not a fifty million pound centre back. In a back three, he looked poor defensively. In a two, he's going to get exposed. Now, he's a good player, don't get me wrong, and there's potential there, but he's almost twenty four. It's not like he's a kid. I wonder if he'd be better off as a right back in a flat four, him and Tierney as, as fullbacks. You're not going to get massive amounts of attacking out of them, but what you could get is solidity. Then you go Saliba and Gabriel in the middle, and, and then you've got a footballing back four. But I still wouldn't pay £50 million for Ben White. Liverpool could bid for... Killing Mbappe is a 22-year-old has told PSG he wants to leave this summer. They could. They won't, but they could. Um, Aston Villa are confident they can fend off Manchester City, Chelsea and Man United to keep hold of Jack Grealish. Uh, Dean Smith's side of no interest in selling Scotland midfielder John McGinn. Uh, good. You keep hold of him, lads. Don't let Klopp have him. Um Liverpool are monitoring Portugal and Lille midfielder Renato Sanchez as a replacement for Ginny Wijnaldum. The 23-year-old helped the French side win the League One title last season. Yeah, I'd be very much in favour of Renato, not just on these Euros, obviously. His last two seasons at Lille, he's been very, very good. He's a fantastic player. He just made a bad move when he was 18. He shouldn't have gone to Bayern. It was too, too soon, too much pressure, too big a fee. He didn't cope with it well. The loan to Swansea didn't go well, but since going to Lille, he's been fantastic. Liverpool have begun talks with PSV Eindhoven about a deal for 22-year-old Dutch forward Daniel Malin, who's expected to cost about 34 million. Uh, that's 34 million euros, but 25 million pounds he's meant to be meant to be available for. I, I'd be in favour of Malin. I think he's a very, very talented player. Can play across the front line. Loads of potential. Another one that Arsenal made a mess of. Uh, Chelsea are most likely to are the most likely side to land Jules Conde. The Frenchman has attracted interest from in Manchester United, but it seems the West Londoners are at the front of the queue. I think he might stay in Spain another year at, at, at Sevilla before deciding what to do. He seems very content there. He seems to have a very very good view on what his career path is going to look like. So, wouldn't surprise me if he stuck around another year. Brighton, Burnley, West Ham and newly promoted Norwich are all linked with Martin Braidwaite of Barcelona. Um, I think for Burnley or Norwich, he would be a good signing. He, Brighton have enough players that play that kind of role, facilitator types. He'd be a good squad player for West Ham, but for Norwich or Burnley, I think he could be a starter. You could play him with Chris Wood. You could play him wide if you needed to. I think he'd be a decent signing. French defender William Saliba is again poised to leave Arsenal on loan. And is, this is just typical Arsenal. Has attracted a number of suitors, including Nice, where he had a loan spell last season. Newcastle, Southampton, Rennes, Marseille, Lille, Bayer Leverkusen, as well as two unnamed clubs in Italy. Not surprising. And when you see the amount of clubs that would be really interested in taking him on loan, you kind of get a grasp on what a talented player he is. And why Arsenal are being very, very silly. Uh, West Ham have tabled a £17 million bid for Fiorentina's Nikola Milinkovic. But that's a long way short of what the Serie A club want. 
He is out of contract next summer. I reckon about 25 million will probably get him. Being honest. Uh, Arsenal midfielder Mikel Arteta, sorry, Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta has made Ren midfielder Eduardo Camavinga his primary target this summer. I mean, he's he's living in dreamland, this fella. You're paying 50 million for Ben White. You're not going to get Camavinga. It's a different market altogether. It's a different level. Burnley are set to make a bid for Werder Bremen's Czech Republic international goalkeeper, Yuri Pavlenka. With Bremen gone down, he'll be available for very little. Norwich obviously signed Milo Rashika from Bremen. Really good signing on the cheap. Um, I think Burnley would, would do well to get him in as a, as a backup to Nick Pope. Leeds could make a move for Ben Breerton of Blackburn Rovers following his impressive performances for Chile at the Copa America. Do you know why they won't? Because what they'll do is they'll have a look at his actual career, the five seasons of his actual career, and realise that a striker that scored 18 goals in 145 championship games is not for them. That's why they won't do that. Newcastle are in... Do you know what that is? That's somebody trying to put Bielsa, former Chile manager with a current Chile player together and say, oh, look how much sense this makes. It doesn't make any sense at all. He's not a Premier League caliber player. Uh, I'd love to see him go to the Eredivisie or Portugal. Yeah, one of those two leagues. And I think he could do really well. Um, and he could work on a suntan so he wouldn't look like a pasty fella from the northeast of England uh, when he's rocking around with all his uh, Chilean teammates. Newcastle are interested in signing Mario Lamina from Southampton, having scouted the 27-year-old during his loan spell at Fulham last season. He's a defensive midfielder, obviously. Newcastle have quite a few defensive midfielders, but he is a good one. Um, I think I think Southampton should just keep him and play him, personally. I, I just think they should keep him and play him. Roma remain in talks with Arsenal over a deal for Granit Xhaka, with the main sticking point being the amount of performance and appearance-related bonuses that are included in the deal. Fair enough. Just get it done or don't get it done, but nobody cares. It's Granit Xhaka. Uh, Rafa Benitez remains the front-runner for the Everton job, with the former Liverpool boss holding further talks. So he's been holding further talks every single day for the last 10 days, apparently. Um, Crystal Palace turned to Lucien Favre in the pursuit of a new manager after balking at Steve Cooper's £3 million release clause at Swansea. Uh, don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. If, if Cooper's who you want, go and get Cooper. Don't be cheap. Arsenal are readying an offer for Manuel Locatelli, but Juventus have already agreed personal terms. Arsenal, they're just... Someone at Arsenal is living in a world of delusion if he actually thinks that Locatelli or Camaving personally I think it's all media nonsense just people trying to fill column inches um Arsenal's midfielder target is Lakonga it's not Camavinga it's not Locatelli it's Lakonga from Anderlecht that's who they're in for um and any of the rest of this just seems to be fluff and bluster Newcastle's 21-year-old English midfielder Matty Longstaff is wanted by Norwich, Middlesbrough and West Brom as well as Anderlecht. 
So if I was him, I would go to Norwich. I wouldn't go to Anderlecht because Vincent Company doesn't look like a very good coach to me. Uh, Middlesbrough and West Brom are a step down in in level. But I think Norwich would be a good move. He shouldn't have signed that new contract. Steve Bruce filled him with lies. West Ham remain interested in Jesse Lingard, but may have to wait until Manchester United's pursuit of Jaden Sancho is resolved before making a move for the 28-year-old England forward. Um, just let Jesse Lingard go, please, Manchester United. Just let him go. Let the boy go and play football somewhere and stop holding him hostage while you fiddle around 20 million below the asking price for Jaden Sancho. This is my favourite one of the day, and I've kept it till last. Barcelona are open to swapping 32-year-old Jordi Alba for Inter Milan and Italy defender Alessandro Bastoni. But the Spain international will not contemplate making a move this summer. I'm sorry. Jordi Alba, at his best, was a, a good left back. Never great. Very good going forward. Carried by Messi, Busquets, Iniesta, etc. Hopeless defensively. He's now well past his best. Alessandro Bastoni is one of the best young defenders in the world. Maybe the best young left-footed defender in the world. Now, I know Inter have some financial problems. But there's no chance they're going to swap Bastoni for Jordi Alba. None whatsoever. You'd have more chance of swapping Martin Braithwaite for Romelu Lukaku. This is from ESPN. Now, whether they've made it up or whether they've actually gotten it from Barcelona, that that's something they're considering, I've no idea. But the idea of it is ridiculous. To actually sit down and write that, think this isn't ridiculous. Shame on whoever put that out. Shame on whoever at Barcelona may have conceived the idea. What nonsense. We'll leave it there for today. It's a short show. Uh, but yesterday was nice and long. So, you know, it balances itself out. Uh, take care of yourselves. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. Remember, we have... Actually, do you know what? Before we go, we've got some football the weekend. Let's just have a quick preview. Wales will play Denmark. The Welsh are going to go into this game probably as slight favourites, but as the bad guy. Everybody everybody wants Denmark to win. Everybody wants the, fa- the fairy tale to continue. I think if Bale and Ramsey show up, I think they might have too much quality going forward for, for Denmark. But Denmark's midfield physically could be too much for Wales. Hoysberg and Delaney, very, very powerful. The wingbacks are playing well. The weakness in that Danish team is Vestergaard. If and Kjar. Kjar is not a great defender, but I'm not going to disparage him anymore because of his actions in the Finland game. Um, Vestergaard is the weak point. Attack him non-stop with Bale, and you're going to get lots and lots of joy. I think the Wales, the Welsh could win this game. I, I am admittedly hoping that Denmark win, but it's not an Ericsson thing. It's a Michael Laudrup thing. It's a Jan Molby thing. But I do think the Welsh could win this one. Um, the other game, obviously, on Saturday is is it? It's Italy versus Austria. Italy, for me, the best team in the group stage. Austria, 
not so impressive in the first two games, but look better against Ukraine. Big question of whether they play a back four or back three. Back four gives them a better chance, in my view. The back three didn't work at all. They go back four, they get their midfielders into better positions as well. I think that works well for Austria. Italy look fantastic, though, and they're strong throughout. I'm hoping it's Benucci and Bastoni at centre-back, given Chiellini's out. Di Lorenzo should be back in at right-back. Spinazzola at left-back. I'm guessing the midfield goes back to being Barella, Jorginho, Locatelli. Even though Verratti looked very good against the Welsh, I still think Locatelli has done enough to keep his place. And Verratti then as an option off the bench is fantastic. And then the front three, Berardi, Immobile and Insigne has been the best front three in the competition. I think Italy win that game quite comfortably. Austria are a good team, some really good individuals, but I just don't think they're going to have the quality to cope with that Italian team, especially when they get going going forward. Um, on Sunday then, you've got the Netherlands against the Czech Republic at 5, at 5 p.m. Um Netherlands looked good at times, not particularly great through their group. A little bit suspect at the back. A little bit hesitant in midfield with Darun. But Frankie looks like he's rounding into form. De Ligt is back in the team. Obviously, that's huge. Big question mark over who plays up front next to Memphis. Was Weghorst in the first two games, Malin in the third. Malin and Memphis looked really good. But Weghorst and Memphis looked good too. I think he'll go with Malin. I think he'll like to have that extra bit of pace. And they should have enough. Now, Patrick Schick, obviously, in really good form. But I still think the Danes, or the, the Netherlands, the Dutch will have more than enough to beat the Czechs. So I'll go with a Dutch win. And then the big one is Belgium versus Portugal at 8 p.m. on Sunday. Belgium's defence is is massively concerning. Now, they've got a great goalkeeper. But the back three is concerning. Toby's not what he was. Vertonghen's not what he was. They're still quite good, but that central role is problematic. Boyata, in my view, just not good enough. Denier, he had such a bad game against the, the, the Danes that I just don't know that you'd trust him. They use wingers as wingbacks, leave themselves a little bit open. Big question marks in centre midfield. Will Witzel be fit to start? If he is, it will be a big plus. If it's Witzel and Tielemans in there, that's going to be really good. Then you get De Bruyne, Lukaku, and whoever. Probably Yannick Carrasco in the front three. Hazard then as an option off the bench. Doku as an option off the bench. Belgium have such good options going forward. Now, so do Portugal, but their whole team is skewed for one player. Everything is to facilitate Cristiano. Whereas with the Belgians, they play for each other. You see Lukaku, he plays to set up others as much as they do to set up him. I think Belgium will have too much. Portugal's defence really hasn't impressed me. And we saw what the Germans were able to do when they got really aggressive in wide areas and pushed those wing-backs really advanced. I think we'll see Belgium do exactly the same. Ruben Diaz had a bit of a mayor of a tournament. I think Lukaku is going to bully him. I'm going to go for a Belgium win. So I've got Wales. I can't. I can't pick against the Danes. I'm sorry. I do think Wales will win, but I'm going to pick Denmark. I'm going to go Denmark, Italy, 
Netherlands and Belgium to get through, um, which gives me Wales against, oh, sorry, gives me Denmark against the Netherlands and Italy against Belgium in the next round. Uh, then Monday, we have Croatia, Spain, France, Switzerland, and then Tuesday, the big one is England, Germany, and then Sweden, Ukraine. And obviously then those teams will play each other. The winner of Spain, Croatia plays the winner of France, Switzerland. The winner of England, Germany plays the winner of Sweden, Ukraine. It's shaping up to be fun. It really is. Um, I think these games over the weekend, there's a couple there that look like they could be belters. I think that Wales-Denmark game will be really, really hard fought. Uh, I think Italy will be really impressive again. I, I just think the, the form that they're in, not just at, the, at this tournament, but look at their form going into the tournament. They were unstoppable. Um, Netherlands-Czech Republic should be a good game, but that that, that Belgium-Portugal one is the one. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.